We are in Acts chapter 16. And just as a brief review, remember it's been a couple of weeks because the last week was Easter. We did a, a special detour to look at Luke 24. But we're going to go back and pick up the text at Luke 16, 1-10. And just to remind you of where we've been and what had happened prior is Paul and Barnabas had just completed their first missionary journey. And, and a lot of different commentators think it was sometime between a year and a half to three year time period. About this time of his life, Paul's about 50 years old. At 50, you've, you've lived a lot of life. You've lived a lot of life. Paul has spent most of his life pursuing what he thought was what God wanted, but instead, he was doing what Paul wanted. And as much as people, I've heard people say, well, you know, Paul really had good intentions, he just was misdirected. If Paul was really seeking God, God would have, would have led him. Paul was ambitious. You don't study at the feet of Gamaliel if you're not ambitious. Especially when you're an outsider, somebody who's an Hellenistic Jew. And Paul studied because he wanted to make his way up the ranks. That was his objective. But God met him on the road to Damascus. Chapter 9 changed the course of his life. And in typical Pauline fashion, he immediately said, okay, then if this is the right way, I'm going to do it. And he jumps right in, immediately starts telling people, boldly proclaiming, and God removes him from that for a few years to say, no, Paul, wait a minute. You just need to chill out a little bit. You need to rest. You need, you need to spend some time with me, Paul. We kind of got to recalibrate your way of thinking. You guys ever have that happen with you and the Lord where He just says, you need a reset? I need to pull you back a little bit, throttle you down some, so I can have you hear what I want you to do? You see, if we're His, we're not our own. We follow Him. He's our Master. And so, Paul gets recalibrated, gets brought back to Antioch, teaches there, having an amazing ministry there, and they say, okay, we're going to send you and Barnabas to go take the Gospel westward. And so that's what happened. They go to Cyprus, then they go to Antioch of Pisidia, and then they go to Iconium, then they go to Lystra, then Derby. And by the way, it wasn't easy. It wasn't fun. Ministry never is. That's why I crack up when churches say, we have fun! <laughs> Okay, I can honestly tell you that uh, most of the ministry that I've done, especially when you're doing what I call frontline evangelism, it ain't fun. It's hard. It's hard. I get what the churches are trying to say. We have an exciting ministry, but when you say fun, and to me, could you just see anybody saying the Apostle Paul had a fun life? I don't think so. But him and Barnabas go take this gospel. They go through the treacherous Taurus Mountains. Then they get thrown out of cities. They get, you know, Paul gets stoned. Not drinking stoned or smoking dope stoned, but rocks thrown at you stoned. And then they go back. And as they go back, they leave disciples and churches in all these places with leaders. 
which is amazing because some of them don't even have Bibles or, or, or copies of the Torah that we know of. They get back to Antioch and the guys in Jerusalem come up and there's some guys that say, hey, listen, that's great what you've been teaching, but you've been leaving out something. They've got to be circumcised to really be believers. And they go, whoa, wait a minute, that ain't right. That's not the Gospel we were taking. And so they have this disagreement. The church at Antioch sends them down to Jerusalem, or up to Jerusalem actually, and they go up to Jerusalem, and when they get there, they have this big meeting with James, the half-brother of Jesus, the elders, the apostles there, and they come together and say, Paul and Barnabas are right. These are men who've risked their life for the Gospel. The Gospel of grace, not the Gospel of legalism. And so they send them back with a letter with Judas and with Silas to go back to Antioch to convey this is the gospel. We've got to get it right. Before we do any more missionary journeys, before we go deeper with anybody, we've got to get the gospel right. So they send them back with that. When they get back up there, everybody was rejoicing. Silas and Judas come back to Jerusalem and... Paul says, hey, we need to go back to those churches, those areas we plan. We need to go deep in them, go check on them, make sure they're doing the right things, that they have good orthodoxy, they have good doctrine. And so when they do that, Barnabas says, hey, why don't we give John Mark another chance? Let's take him. He needs to go with us. Paul goes, whoa, he failed us. We can't go. We can't take a guy who's already departed, who got scared, or who didn't like it, or whatever. We can't take that kind of guy. And they have this big strategy departure from each other. It's not over a moral issue. It's not over a biblical issue. It's over their view of the best way to go follow up and do ministry. And we talked about that the last time. And Remember some of the things we brought out that people who are very relationally driven are prone to minimize truth for the sake of relationship. And you see that in Barnabas. We also said that dogmatic leaders are prone to discard kingdom people who are valuable for their view of what mission success would look like. And we looked at Paul, and he's a very dogmatic leader. And the final thing we said was that, you know what, ministry strategies, different strategies are okay. It's not bad. We all need the diversity of the body, the talents, the gifts, the experiences, and the mindsets to work together in ministry. And so we got to realize that sometimes we got to agree to disagree, and we don't want to demonize people just because they have a different approach than we do. And so that was where we left it last time. Now we're going to look at Acts 16, 1 through 10. And, you know, I was thinking about. Acts and what we've been doing in Acts. And I, I was thinking about Bill Rogers. This is probably one of my favorite little books. I don't, first of all, it's small. I don't like big books. I don't like reading books that are that big. Okay? I'm a PE major. Come on, give me a break. Um, so, but this book is on shooting. I've always, since I was a kid, I've loved to shoot. I, I got in the Marine Corps, I was a double expert every year for eight years. Then I got in the FBI and I wanted to be on the SWAT team. I love weapons, man. I love shooting anything that goes boom. I like shooting and doing. And so I would read up on those things. This is the best book I've ever read on reactive shooting and, and being fast and accurate. So I've read this thing like 15 times. 
I, and I keep going through it. I've been to two of Bill's advanced classes. And, and I read it, and I want to be like Bill. As I read this, he's telling about himself. And he's telling about how he learned. And I'm reading and I'm going, man, if I can emulate what he's saying here, then I can be like him out on the range. Or if I ever needed to use the gun in a defensive way, I would be ready. So I kind of go through that and I see that. And I see the same thing in Acts. When we read Acts, we're not getting like theological um, imperatives or commands to us. Acts is unfolding really the story of God's church expanding. And as we look, especially in this passage today and as we keep going, we can learn from Paul. We can learn from Barnabas. We can learn from Silas. We can learn from Epaphrodites and Timothy. We can learn from these people as we read about them and we can draw some principles out and say, wow, I want to be like that. I want to do what they're doing because they're doing biblical things. Even though it may not be an imperative, we can draw an imperative principle from it. And so in this text today, there's, there's two real imperatives that I think God would call us to do as His kingdom priest. First of all, is to identify and invest in faithful future leaders. To identify and invest in faithful future leaders. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.2, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others. You're here today in this room because a person, a Paul in my life, challenged me for that verse to become a reality in my life. And he said, Doug, because at the time that he challenged me, I was speaking to sometimes as many as three or 4,000 men at a gathering. And I was going from city to city. And I was loving that. You go up there, you got 3,000, 4,000 men sitting out there waiting to hear. And, and, and they're waiting for you to say, and they are all pumped up because you've had a praise band that gives them a lot of music. And then you just go out there and... They respond, then you never see those guys again. No baggage. No hospital visits. No, no follow-up lunches with anybody. The problem is, when you go like that, if that's all you ever do, sometimes those audiences you go into are only that deep. And so this mentor said, Doug, why don't you take 2 Timothy 2.2 and go deep? So about 10 years ago, I started SWAT out at Angie Subs out at the beach with my two sons and a guy named David Wayner, who's an attorney in town, and a guy named Daryl Walls. And we just started going through Daniel. Just going through Daniel. Nothing fancy, just going verse by verse, just like we do here, and, and learning principles to live by as men. But there was something different than, than what I was doing on stage to thousands of men there was some accountability every week. I would see them. Hey, how you doing in reading the Bible? How you doing in, uh, in, in living out these things we've talked about? Oh, uh, not so good this week. Well, really, tell me about it. And life on life began to happen. 
And it began to be something where I began to see these guys going deep. And just like we're going to see in the text today, when you start to go deeper with people and strengthen them deeper, you begin to grow numerically. But it's organic growth. It's not what I call false growth. Oh, there's lots of churches that grow like this, and they're like a quarter inch deep. And that's not what you want. That's not what Jesus wanted. Jesus said, hey, come follow me. And he took these 12 guys. So as we look at this first principle, we're going to go through and look at some things. How do you identify? What characteristics are you looking for? And then how do you invest? What do you really invest in? What, do you, what does that look like? That's the first principle. Second principle is we need to listen and obey his leading. God calls us as his priest to listen How does he lead his people? How has he always led his people? By his voice, not by sight. By his voice. So if we're not shemaying, you know, if we're not shemaying, which is listening that produces an action, then we're really not following him the way he has called us to follow. Go look in the Bible, see how many times he says, Hear my what? My word. Hear my word. Last week when we talked about the resurrection, they didn't hear the word. They didn't shema the word. They, they heard it enough to... Remember on the road to Emmaus? The guy said, hey, you know, besides that, it's three days now. So he heard what Jesus said, but he didn't hear it enough to produce an action and believe it. And so he wants us to shema, to hear it that produces an action, and then obey his leading. So that's the second principle, and we're going to see that in the second part. We're going to look at Acts 16, 1 through 10, and identify and invest in faithful future leaders, and then listen and obey his leading. So join me in reading. Uh, if you need a Bible, there's one up here. Acts 16, starting in verse 1. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, one quick note before we get into the identify. It says in verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we, we sought to go. You know who's writing that? 
Luke, who is now part of the group. Luke, the eyewitness that was there. Yes, sir. I have a question. Why do you think Paul found it necessary to circumcise Timothy after he had received the permission not to the elders in Jerusalem? That's a great question that I'm going to get to in just a second. But you're a good disciple because disciples are always thinking ahead of the teacher. That's good. We're going to get to it. Verse 3. We're going to work through this verse by verse because I don't want to miss what's in verse 1 and 2 to jump that because it all plays in, right? So, identify and invest in faithful future leaders. What's going on in verse 1? Paul came to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Guys, this is a problem in Jewish culture. Jews didn't marry outside of Jews. In fact, they were prohibited from doing that. So this was a problem. And we're not just talking about any Jew. We're talking about Eunice, who was the daughter of a godly woman named Lois. So you have a godly mother named Lois who has a daughter named Eunice. Hey mom, I met this guy. And I know he's a Greek, but I can change him. You guys probably never heard stories like that before. (laughs) I can change him. Oh mom, and, and, and of course, here this Greek guy comes up. Oh yes ma'am, Miss Lois. Yes ma'am. You know, I, I've been studying Judaism, wondering about it, you know. It's an interesting philosophy. Why? Because all Greeks were philosophers. He sold Lois on something to be able to get this marriage done. Something he sold that he ended up not following through. Well, you can, you know, I, I just I want this so bad and I think I can change. I think I can. Whatever happened, and now you deal with the baggage. You have a person of the covenant married to a pagan. That's a bad deal for God's people. It's a bad deal. But you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube once it's out. It's messy. And that's what's going on here. Because what he ended up doing is he said, yeah, you can teach him the Jewish Torah. You can teach him the Scriptures. But don't cut his... You know what? Let's not do that. I'm not gonna, my son's not going to be circumcised. He's a Greek. He's not a Jew. But you can teach him about the Jewish way of life. And that's, there was some kind of compromise, obviously, because it's referenced later that he has known the Scriptures since he was a youth. Way before Paul ever came there. And so, the first thing that we look for, first characteristic we look for when we're identifying these faithful future leaders is God's hand on their life. Paul says about Timothy, he's my true child. And Paul led his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, to Jesus. Now, what's interesting is, and you see this a lot in marriages that are split spiritually. Eventually, whatever child it is bonds back to that spiritual parent. And that's what happened with Lois and Eunice. 
because they both become believers, followers of Jesus. And they had taught young Timothy the Scriptures since he was a young kid. And what's really interesting about Timothy's name, it's a Greek name, but it has a Jewish flavor to it. You know why? Because in the Greek, Timo means to honor. Theos means what? God. So he was named to honor God. Only one child that we know of, of Lois and her Greek, or Eunice and her Greek husband. God raised him through Eunice in the scriptures, taught him the scriptures like every good Jewish mom would do. He grew up probably saying the Shema every morning and every night. And the second thing we see is not only was God's sovereign hand on him, and that's one thing we look for when we look for people to invest in. We want to identify those to invest in. The second thing is a good reputation. Verse 2. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Notice, it wasn't just the townspeople, it was the brothers. Timothy just didn't know it. He lived it. You know how many people know the Scriptures and our culture and don't live it? 1 Timothy 3 says, if you're going to find somebody and they're going to be an elder, they're going to be a leader, they've got to be above reproach. Do you know how many Christian leaders have awful reputations? How many have secret reputations that people don't even know? I, I can tell you right now that at least two megachurch pastors that have secrets that nobody knows about. They've been approached. The elders of the church have been approached and the people that approached them were told that if they go any further, they're going to have lawsuits against them. And so the people were quiet. And both of them have to do with sexual misconduct. But every Sunday, they get up and they open up the Word and all those people that sit under that teaching sit there and think that guy is living a life worthy of preaching the Gospel. And listen, none of us are worthy to preach it. But you want to live a life above reproach. It's not just about your ability to communicate. It's about what's on the inside. And Timothy had a good reputation. That's what you look for. A guy whose God's hand you see on. By the way, I, I, I shared this story this morning. I, I almost forgot about it this, this, as I'm talking now. But when I was at the, um, the FBI Academy, I got invited to go to a men's retreat. And at that men's retreat, there was a guy speaking named Bob Vernon. Bob Vernon was the number three guy in the L.A. Police Department. He was an assistant chief under Daryl Gates. There was Gates, the number two guy, and then Bob Vernon. Bob Vernon was also an elder at John MacArthur's church. And, and John MacArthur, I had recently read that book, The Gospel According to Jesus. And so I go, okay, I'm going to go hear this guy. He's a law enforcement. I'm going into law enforcement. I want to, I want to hear what he has to say. So I go there. And I loved everything he shared. It was just making my heart beat for God and wanting to go into the Word and study more. And so at the end of it, I go up to him and I said, uh, Mr. Vernon, my name's Doug McCary, and I'm here. And he goes, well, you got a second? And I said, yeah. So we sat down and talked for a little bit. 
And I got up to leave. He said, can I pray for you? I said, sure. That'd be great. And so he prayed for me. And then he said, before you go, God's going to do something with you for his kingdom. And when he does, I want you to call me. And he gave me his phone number. All right, so I go back thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. I got to meet Bob Vernon, enjoy talking to the guy and everything. So I go to Russia. Forget that. That goes back shelf, right? I go to Russia. Get in the FBI. I'm in the FBI for three and a half years. I go to Russia on a mission trip. Come back. God moves me and my wife to leave the FBI, go full-time in ministry. I'm driving down um, Beach Boulevard, have the radio on, and I'm listening to Focus on the Family. Today's guest, former L.A. Police Assistant Chief Bob Vernon. I'm going, okay, that's cool. I said, I met that guy. I'm just talking to myself in the car. And so I turned the radio on. I'm listening to him. And he, you know what he's doing now? He's out of the police department. And now he's going around the world doing law enforcement conferences as a platform to share the gospel. Biblically-based ethics in law enforcement. So he's been to like 20-something countries. He's got a whole team of guys. And right before he goes off, he goes, you know, they said, what can we pray for? He goes, I, you know, one thing that you can pray for is the one country I've been wanting to go that I haven't been able to get into is Russia. And I go, well, duh, I'm going to Russia now. Um, I looked for his number. I couldn't find his number. <laughs> I, and so I, I, I had to, I used my FBI stuff to figure out his phone number, called him at home and said, hey, Bob, you probably don't remember me. You met me at a retreat in Virginia. And he goes, I remember you. What'd God do? <laughs> and I said, well, I was listening to you on Focus on the Family, and I heard you say about Russia, I'm going to Russia. I've got contacts over there. And so we went on to do not one, but two conferences at the equivalent of the FBI in Russia, me and his team shared the gospel with over 60 generals who were like upper level managers within their department of what's called the MVD or like the FBI. And a few of them trusted Christ. It was fascinating. But what God was doing was I got to spend a lot of that time just learning from Bob while I was over there what he was doing and being encouraged but Bob obviously saw something worth investing in, even just to take a few minutes in the back. We're not talking about months and months. We're talking about, hey, you got time to just talk for a few minutes. And he made a couple of statements that triggered what happened when I heard him on the radio. So you never know how God's going to use something you say or do in the life of somebody. So identify those people. Look for whose hand God may be on. Between which visit? When you first met him and then when you called. Three, uh, three and a half years. So God works ahead of time. Yeah, he does. No, I love these stories. Anybody that doesn't think God's working, it's got to be out of it. Well, it's God's sovereignty. It's what he's doing. I mean, like, think about it. Just for the guy who asked me to go to it up in Virginia, who said, hey, Doug, why don't you go to this retreat with me? And I'm like, okay, I'll go. And so I went. But Timothy had a good reputation as well. He didn't just have God's sovereign hand. He had a good reputation. We talked about that. But getting back to your question, Tom, Paul goes to him 
after he identifies him, he realizes he's got he this is a guy I can invest in. And he says, Okay, welcome to my discipleship program. First thing you gotta get whacked. <laughs> That's some discipleship program right there, let me tell you. You better be all in on that one, especially when you were Timothy's age. But Paul's raising up his replacement. And you got to remember, Paul's passion and vision was in every city. Where did he go first? Synagogue. Synagogue, that's right. Timothy's circumcision wasn't for salvation. He didn't, he, Paul knew it wasn't about salvation. He knew that. He, he fought against that. But he goes, you know what? We're going to these synagogues, especially in Lystra, right here, in Iconium, where they know your dad. They're going to know you're a Greek. I had one guy this morning at SWAT goes, well, how did they know? They weren't walking around <laughs> naked, right? And I said, no, but they knew who his dad was. They, these were small cities. These people knew people. They were communal. They would have said, what are you doing with a Greek in here? First thing Paul's going to say, oh, he's circumcised. Oh, well, if he's circumcised, that's the mark of faith for the Jew. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, to the Jew I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. You see, Paul wasn't just about a Bible study with Timothy. He was on mission. And, and for us, I think a lot of times our idea is to be disciple, we just got to go get information. If I can just learn what the teacher knows and if I can just learn what they're trying to communicate to me, I'm going to be better. But if we don't utilize it as we go out, we become like the Dead Sea. There's no outlet to the Dead Sea, so nothing grows in the Dead Sea. There's got to be an outlet. We've got to be conduits and not consumers only and hoarding this stuff to ourselves. Paul says, I do it for the sake of the Gospel. So, Identified by what? God's sovereign hand. He's looking at that. Good reputation. Here's the principle of Timothy getting circumcised. He was teachable. That's the thing we're looking for in a young guy. Is he teachable? I remember when I was on uh, going through uh, the basic school, which every Marine officer goes through six months of basic officer infantry training. Most people don't know that, but every Marine officer, if you're a pilot, you don't just fly. If you get shot down over somewhere and you're on the ground and you're the ranking officer, you take over, supposedly. <laughs> I mean, that's in theory what's supposed to happen. So every Marine is trained to be an infantry officer first. And so while I was going through that phase of training, all I was thinking about was flight school. And we were down at Virginia Beach one day um, for the weekend, and I saw a major down there who was a pilot. He was a commander in a squadron, but I've known him a long time. And I said, man, I'm so concerned about flight school. I said, I'm a PE major, man. I said, I'm like thinking about all this stuff, aerodynamics and everything. He said, Doug, listen, if you're teachable, you can get through anything. And I never forgot that conversation on the beach. If you're teachable, 
You can be trained to do anything. And Bill said that up at his shooting school too, because a lot of people go up there, they're intimidated. If you're teachable. Problem is for a lot of us, we're not very teachable. No, that's not what that means. Really, what are you basing that on? I just don't think it's right. I've heard that. People want to argue about Scripture and they don't even know the Scriptures. Because they don't like what the Scriptures say in their mind. They don't like what it conveys in their mind. And they're not teachable. But Paul saw the teachability of Timothy. So God's sovereign hand, good reputation, teachable. Those are characteristics we see in Timothy that I think as we look to identify faithful future leaders, that's what we should look for. But what about the investing? Time and teaching. You know, discipleship for us it should be not just about information transfer. It's about bringing young leaders into community with the express purpose of growing their knowledge of Scripture with them having a desire to be like their teacher. That's what Jewish discipleship meant. It was, it was a community around the Scripture with a passion to be like the teacher instead of just knowing what the teacher knows. It's to be like the teacher. And so what does Paul do? First thing he does is sit down, Timothy, Timothy, let's go over this gospel thing. It's one of the first things I do when I'm doing discipleship. So tell me what it means to you when you hear the term gospel. What does that really mean? Because there's a lot of gospel confusion in our culture. A lot of people think the gospel is Jesus dying on the cross, and if they put their faith in those facts, they're believers. That's not the gospel. It's part of the gospel. The gospel is that you entrust yourself to Jesus. You entrust yourself to Him not only to pay for your sins, but to be your Messiah leader, your master, your king. It's two sides of the same coin. And nothing else makes you acceptable to God. Baptism doesn't make you acceptable. Church membership doesn't make you acceptable. Doing good things in your life, giving to the church, reading your Bible, evangelism. None of those things make you more acceptable to God. They don't. Those are things that you do in response to what's happened with Jesus. But those things don't. And I've heard every one of those things attached to what Jesus did on the cross as a means for your salvation. And that's legalism. And so Paul sits down with Timothy and he conveys to him what the gospel really is. He just walked him through the gospel of grace. And you know, when you think about it, I didn't understand that. I grew up going to church. I grew up knowing the Scriptures. But until that bird came through and hit me and almost killed me in that plane when I was flying and I thought I was dying and I was thinking, I'm going to hell because yes, I love Jesus, but I've been living a terrible life so that disqualifies me. No! It doesn't. The only thing that qualifies you is faith in Jesus. And I never doubted him. I didn't doubt my faith in Jesus. I, I believe I loved him, but I was just foolish. I was immature. I was disobedient. But I, I did love him. And that love grew. 
And for the first time in my life, I really understood grace. That it wasn't what I do, it's what He did for me. That's the big thing. And so Paul explained that to him in verse 4. Because notice it says, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observations the decision. So who's delivering the messages of the Gospel? It's not just Paul. It's Paul and Timothy. It's Paul and Timothy. Because Paul invested in him. Listen, in 2 Timothy 1, when Paul writes Timothy at the end of his life, he says, Timothy, share in suffering for the Gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit, Timothy. Guard the good deposit. Guys, guard the good deposit. And so they shared that Gospel of Grace message. And you know what it says? Verse 5, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and then what happens is a natural result. They increased in numbers daily. They were strengthened in the faith first, and then they increased in numbers. you got to go deep before you go wide. And so that's what we see. Well, what happens then? So Paul goes, okay, we're done here. Let's push westward. Let's go to Asia. Let's go to Asia Minor. And that was Paul's intent. But what did God say? Verse 6, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. What? God said you couldn't do this? I mean, God said they couldn't go share the gospel with people? That was going to be my second question. (laughs) Because it's timing. You see, Galatia was a large province. And they had been discipling and strengthening the saints, and now they wanted to go west. And God said, no. Paul was thinking Asia Minor. You've heard some of the cities there. Ephesus. Smyrna, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae, Sardis, Pergamos, Thyatira. Do those sound familiar to you? Seven churches. Well, how about that? Yes. It just wasn't the right timing. They were planning on going there then and God said no. So, Paul says, okay, well then we'll carve out this layer. We'll go up uh, north to Bithynia, and God said no again. Not once, twice. You ever have that with God? You think He wants you to go here, and He goes no. Then you go, okay, well, He must want me to go here. No. And you go, what do you want? I don't know where you want me to go. Please tell me I'm not the only one that have had one of those moments in my life. (laughs) But instead, they went to Troas. They couldn't go any further because of the Aegean Sea. So they stopped there. They stopped. And you know what they began to do when they stopped? Sometimes when you stop, you begin to listen. And that's what God wanted them to do. He wanted them to listen and obey His leading. John 10, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. God leads His people by His voice, by His Word. Verse 9, when they got there, what did God say? 
And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Wonder where that vision came from. How many times you see visions in Scripture? Who do they come from? They ain't coming just because he had melatonin. God's communicating to him, right? A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Why? Well, that's where ministry really starts, guys, is when, where people are hurting and in need of the hope of the gospel of grace. Help us. Help us. How many times do we go by people that need the gospel? They're saying, help us. They may cry out different, but they're crying out to help us. And Paul, it would have been very easy to Paul to do like so many I see people do. So I see so many people do this all the time. I just wish God would show me my, His will for my life. And they don't do anything. Yeah, you know how to find God's will for your life? Don't be concerned about His will for your life. Be concerned for His will, period. Just God's will. Seek God's kingdom. Seek His will. Matthew 6.33 Commit your life to His kingdom and then follow the desires He places on your heart. I want to be a pilot, God. Okay. I go in the Marine Corps. Oh, you can't be a pilot. Your eyes aren't good enough. How can that be? I just had them checked a month, like six months ago. They were fine. Sorry. You're going to have to be a tank officer. What? I don't want to drive tanks. I want to drive airplanes. God, what do you want me to do? It's not going to be easy. I went to 10 different optometrists. Finally got up to Bethesda and got certified. Brought it in there. Sorry. We only accept these people. God, what do I do? Don't stop fighting. Took it all the way up to headquarters Marine Corps. The day before graduation from the basic school, this XO comes in there. I don't know who you know, but I'm not happy, Lieutenant. Here's your orders to Pensacola. That doesn't happen, guys. That doesn't happen. I get to Pensacola, going through down there. I get a nammy whammy. You know what that is? That means the naval doctors looked and saw what happened up there and go, we need to certify this out. So I went through two weeks of intensive testing on my eyes. The whole time I'm praying, Lord, is this what you want? I mean, why is this? Why is this? Timing is everything. Sometimes we go through trials because God doesn't want us to complete something at a certain time. He wants us to be delayed. And He wants us to trust. My faith grew the whole time. Finally, the doctor said, listen here, Lieutenant. Your eyes, you're squinting. I, you know, you're squinting through these tests. That's how you're able to pass. So, I probably shouldn't pass you, but I am. But you better fly helicopters so you get through quick because the syllabus was a lot quicker for helicopters. So what did I do? I flew jets. <laughs> and I made it and I flew jets for eight years. Not because I'm some special guy. 
because that's what God wanted me to do because he wanted a bird to come through my cockpit because he wanted me to be around guys that I would be around because his plan is always better than I plan. When I took the FBI Academy test to, to go in, the guy laughed at me and said, we're, we're not looking for guys like you. And I said, well, I'm here because I think this is where God wants me. And I got hired because that's where God wanted me because he had a path for me that was for me, just like he's got a path for you that's for you. Seek him. The problem is when we just sit around and do nothing, God is more committed to making us who he wants us to be than we are. Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So many people, guys, just sit around. I don't know what to do. God won't show me. So they just literally sit and do nothing. Get up and do something. Read your Bible, obey it, and share it with people. If you're His, at the very least, be faithful where you are doing that. I think the biggest problem at SWAT Bible studies is getting guys out of their comfortable disobedience and their lack of spiritual discipline. Start obeying the Word. Start sharing it with others and then watch God open doors. You know, Timothy ultimately played an important part in the expansion of all the churches. He traveled with Paul and was a lot of times his special ambassador to trouble spots like Corinth and other places. He became shepherd of the church at Ephesus, one of the greatest influencing church churches there was. But you know what it says in Revelation? They left their first love. And he probably joined Paul in Rome right before he was martyred. He was Paul's protege. Paul invested. Who are you investing in? And are you listening and obeying to your master? Those are two questions we need to wrestle with. And my hope and prayer is is that you'll find somebody to invest in. Because 80 years from now, if he hasn't come back, there's going to be people that need to hear the gospel of grace. So Father, thank you for the reminder this morning that, uh, that we should be looking, actively looking for future faithful leaders. Help us to identify those that you bring into our path and around us. And Lord, to start investing in them, even if it's just sharing every now and then with them, meeting with them, trying to help guide them into understanding your word and obeying your word and living out your word. And Lord, may we be mindful for your voice. May we listen and obey. Thank you for that reminder today. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And may we live for you. Amen. Glad you came, Ron.